I've been putting bad guys away for 44 years. I've been part of investigating over a thousand deaths. I've been a part of putting more than 400 murders in prison, and I'm still at it. I'm Tim Corbett. These are my cases. This isn't your typical criminal profile podcast. This is Killer Catchers. Hi, Tim Corbett here again for Killer Catchers. Uh, thanks for joining us. Before I forget, I want to get it out right now. Thank you to all vets, current and in the past. Thank you to all first responders. Very, very important people in our lives. Uh, they keep us safe and have kept America free. So I want to get that out right now. Um, we just got through Memorial Day, which is a very important day, not just for barbecues and good times, but to remember people who sacrificed their lives to keep us safe, free, and being able to do what we're doing. Um, I also own corporate investigations where I can be reached at 574-229-8115. I am still handling homicide cases. I have three of them going right now where families have hired me, so that's my little commercial. Tonight, we're going to talk about an incident that happened at 2122 Fredrickson Street in South Bend, Indiana. It happened on August 3rd, 2017 at about 11.20 p.m. Um, originally, a, a call went out of over 25 shots fired. Kenny here at the end will be able to tell you more about that when we get down there to him about how many shots were fired and how long we held the place. Two people were killed, Damon Bethel and Anton James. There was a guy shot, another additional person shot by the name of Josh Sage. And there was a young lady that was involved in an accident fleeing the scene uh, that was in critical condition for quite a while. Um, so that kind of sets the scene. These guys are going to be doing most of the talking tonight on this because this is a very in-depth uh, case. Obviously, they have everything that they need to be able to explain it to you. To my left is Gary Mullins. Gary is a police officer in the city of South Bend. To his left is Kenny Cornelis, uh, recently retired here in the last two or three months from St. Joe County. They both, both worked with me at Homicide. Excellent, excellent police officers. You're going to hear a lot about uh, the people involved in this. In fact, uh, Gary's going to read to you the people that were involved and what kind of charges they received and what kind of time they received. And after that, it's going to be uh, it's going to be the story. So, Gary, tell us about the people. Yeah, out of all of the people, Anton James, uh, he was one of the deceased. He was uh, probably the only one out of all this, uh, this group of people that uh, was completely innocent. He was uh, wrong place, wrong time, um, and ended up catching a, a bullet during some crossfire. Uh, additional parties... Uh, Tim mentioned Joshua Sage. He was uh, charged with felony murder times two, dealing meth uh, with intent to distribute and ended up getting sentenced to 55 years. Robert Brady uh, was charged with dealing meth, carrying a handgun without a license and sentenced to 18 and a half years. Ronald Snyder, he was charged with murder times two, dealing meth. He got 25 years, 18 of those years were suspended and he was already out uh, on probation and ended up dying of an overdose while he was out on probation. I think he ended up, uh, the cause of that was a uh, hot shot with some fentanyl, heroin laced uh, with some fentanyl. Um, on the other side, because uh, there are two basic groups that were to this, uh, and I'll probably refer to them as dealers on one side and robbers on the other. So the first group uh, Joshua Sage, Robert Brady, and Ronald Snyder were in the dealers category. Uh, the robber cat category was uh, Jermon Gavin. He was uh, 
charged with murder times two, felon in possession of a firearm, and dealing methamphetamine. He was uh, sentenced to 35 years, which is suspended, and uh, put on 40 years of probation. Uh, Benito Pedraza was charged with felony murder times two and uh, attempted robbery. He ended up with 60 years charged. His brother, Jesus Pedraza, murder times two, felony murder, robbery attempt. He also was sentenced to 60 years. And uh, another one of their cohorts that was on the robber's side was Damon Bethel, which Tim mentioned earlier that uh, he died um, during this attempted robbery. When you say died, he was shot. He was shot and killed. Yeah, he, did, he just didn't have a heart attack uh, on his way to work. No, he was a... He was shot and killed as a result of his actions during this um, chain of events. Okay, we'll come back to the more detailed aspect of that. Kenny, you uh, you were one of three people, correct, that worked that scene? Yes. It was you, Norby, and uh, Kyle Slater? It was actually myself. Norby was away to school. Uh, John Gray, Kyle Slater, and uh, Ryan Hippica. And we actually, for this, starting out, um, it was August the 3rd, about 0042 hours, received a call that we have a very extremely large scene uh, starting at 2122 uh, West Fredrickson Street, South Bend. Uh, the scene proceeds all the way down to Johnson Street to the east, uh, almost three blocks in length. Uh, Anyways, I left my residence, went to the office, and I drew my assigned partner. Uh, the scene, due to the fact that the scene was so large, we had to have people at one end uh, taking care of. There was a car that went into a house with a deceased party in it. Another uh, person, passenger in that vehicle was currently at the hospital, we heard with life-threatening injuries. We had, at Fredrickson Street, where the whole scene started, we had one deceased male black in the garage, uh, another party who shot multiple times uh, from inside the garage. Basically, we had houses, cars, uh, you name it, it was shot up. Um, so, Myself, uh, Kyle Slater, he was handling the scene at the other end of Johnson Street uh, where the car had actually careened into a house before coming to rest in front of the garage next door. Um, he started on that scene and then myself and another crime scene investigator, Scott Robinson from Mishawaka, uh, he was on the Shadow Tech program. He was my partner at the main scene at Fredrickson Street. In our initial observations when we got there, um, outside lights were on, the garage door was open. It's a single story ranch and situated on the southeast, southwest, check southeast corner of Fredrickson and Huey Street. Uh, approaching the house, out in front of the house in the street was green automotive glass. And then with our flashlights, we started shining them around and we've got a trail of shell casings that um, 
were present in the street, spent bullet shell casing or from rounds, uh, at which point in time, Scott Robinson and I, we did what's called a primary walkthrough, what we always do to see what we have. And went into the house, looked around there. The house was totally evacuated. Um, we had learned that there were weapons in the side yard along with uh, a large baggie of what appeared to be uh, what was thought to be crystal methamphetamine. Um, going outside the house and around the house, I started noticing surveillance cameras affixed to all four corners of this uh, house. So getting into the basement, once there was a bedroom downstairs, there was a, tr a blood trail from inside the garage that comes through the kitchen and proceeds downstairs into the basement. As we make our way uh, into the house, I noticed a large surveillance system present in the house with what was a uh, DDR recording box up in the would, would be the northwest bedroom. And there was nothing else in there except this DVR unit on the closet of the shelf, which indicated to me that there was a high probability that we may have this event um, on video surveillance footage. And from there, we backed out of the house. There were no other parties in there. And then we began our processing of residents. And the first thing we do, once we do a primary walkthrough, is we have to document the scene as we found it. And the bare minimum information that we had from uniform officers were when they arrived, the victim in the garage uh, was near deceased, and at which point, uh, they moved a gun out of his reach where he was located uh, next to a van on the garage floor uh, suffering terminal gunshot wounds. Looking inside the garage as we're, we're documenting from the outside in, coming up the driveway, uh, a large amount of shell casings, spent bullet shell casings from what would have been live rounds. Um, we documented the exterior of the house and walked all the way around it. I took pictures of each one of these cameras to show the views that they had that were present. Um, contacted Detective Mullins and told him what we had relaying information. And we decided that come the morning time, we're going to just keep continuing our flow in our documentation and we're going to get uh, somebody audio, audio visually from South NPD, which later on we brought Phil Mark out to download this footage and be able to process it so we could get a view as to actually what was happening. Well, one thing you, that, that you didn't say before we even started any of this, we had to get a search warrant. Absolutely. We, we obtained two warrants. Yeah, we, uh, Sorry. we can't just walk into somebody's house and start doing stuff. We either have to have a permit to search, them giving us permission, ideally written, 
They can give a verbal, hopefully you're recording it on your body mic, or we get a search warrant. Uh, well, the search warrants is the best way to do it because now not only does the prosecutor usually draw it up, it goes to a judge who then says yes or no on it. So it gives us um, a cushion of support and know that we're uh, doing the right thing. In addition to that, when the car hit the house, we have to get either a permit to search or a search warrant to be able to process that vehicle there because that's now on somebody's property and they can tell us yes or no. You never know who's involved in a situation like this. The last thing you want to do is assume and just go ahead and start searching and things get kicked out. So go ahead. And as Tim mentioned, we did obtain uh, several search warrants throughout this investigation, but uh, the two main ones were for the house at Fredrickson Street and for the vehicle in the yard at the end of the street, about roughly three blocks away uh, at Johnson and Fredrickson. Um, as we obtained these warrants, then we started to proceed further in for more detailed uh, observations and our documentation. And the way we document is I was on the 35 millimeter digital uh, photos and also we take, obtain and collect digital video footage of the scene as we found it. We never move, touch anything Documentation goes for everything the way the scene was as we found it. And <clears throat> this particular scene, uh, Detective Slater and uh, Sergeant Hippica were down at the other end of the street. They were working that scene. We were working the main scene at uh, uh, on Fredrickson Street. So actually we had five, five techs out there then, right? Yes, we did because of the how large the scene was and we had uh, they were searching it's it's totally dark outside so we're trying to preserve evidence we have the scene blocked off but it, on, in the same aspect too we're trying to see how much more of a scene that we have how big it is so we have people actually looking uniform guys uh, we're looking to see if uh, any other houses in the vicinity uh, were also damaged. We had uh, numerous vehicles, two in the driveway that were shot up. Um, the vehicle, which was a white Ford, Ex Ford Explorer at the end of the street at Johnson and uh, Fredrickson was also sustained bullet damage. Um, after those observations were made, then we proceed uh, to the next phase, but the documentation always comes first. Um, now with those cars hit like that, mm -hmm. we have to do search warrants for each one individually, unless somebody gives us a permit to search That's to go correct. through that to recover that. Again, I go back to the search warrant is, is uh, the best thing to get because we, we, them, um, the technicians, when they have to recover a bullet, they're going to recover a bullet. And if it means taking your dash apart and giving it to you in a box, that's how you're going to get it. If it means taking your seat, whatever is necessary to recover that projectile for evidence is what's going to happen. 
and the search warrant gives you a cover of that. It gives you the okay to do that. Um, many times with permission search, somebody signs it and they get their car back in a box and they're all kinds of pissed, but um, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. I guess don't take your car to a robbery drug deal and it won't get lit up and it won't get tore up, but there I go using common sense. Now, you kind of set the scene on how, how expansive this scene was. When you got there with your partner, Wiley, who's on vacation right now enjoying Florida, yep. I hope it snows, Tim, um, what'd you do? So when we got there, uh, there was uh, a ton of people that were involved in this. I think um, not only were the uh, robbers that showed up, um, most of them left other than those that weren't uh, able to leave under their own free will, Demond Bethel. Um, the, the dealers were still there. And with that being a, uh, um, a house, uh, a drug house, there was probably... 10 or so people that were inside that uh, tried to leave. Um, thankfully, the, some of the uh, officers of South Bend Police Department were very close to um, the shots that were fired. And uh, they heard it before receiving a uh, shot spotter um, response. So the officers started making their way in the general area and they dispatch honed them in to the exact location of 2122. Fredrickson, uh, and um, with the help of uh, some neighbors kind of pointing to um, the house, uh, the officers were able to get there and get those people corralled before they had the opportunity to leave. Um, How so, cooperative were those people? <clears throat> not very cooperative at all. Uh, of course, they're at a drug house. Um, most of them, if not all, I had uh, some type of narcotics in their system. Uh, they uh, didn't want to cooperate with police um, for uh, fear of getting themselves in trouble, getting somebody else in trouble, not being able to, to get their next high because they told on somebody, uh, something of that nature. But uh, needless to say, the uh, uh, patrol did an awesome job rounding all those people up, getting them separated and bringing them down to the uh, Metro Homicide Unit where um, Detective Wiley and myself uh, were at um, working on interviews um, little by little, one by one. So just knocking those out, uh, learning information, um, getting together, talking to uh, one another about what information that we learned, trying to uh, put the pieces of the puzzle together to try to get an overall uh, view of what's going on. I know Kenny said earlier that, that, you know, we had the other scene down the street. We had a pretty good idea that it was related, but we didn't know that 100% until we were able to uh, get that video from the uh, the house of 2122 uh, Fredrickson. Uh, but just through the, uh, the people's um, interviews uh, and the video, uh, we were able to get uh, a lot more information. I know we talked about warrants, but just and we keep harping on warrants throughout this whole investigation. There were 32 warrants that were done uh, for cell phones, for vehicles, for houses, cell phone records, uh, buckle swabs. There was a lot of uh, 
uh, warrants that were um, administered throughout this. Um, but obviously it worked because I was successful with all the people that were taken off the street and sent, sent away for quite a, quite a period of time. But I don't think people really realize 32 warrants that it's not a huge number when you, you know, you're talking millions of dollars or whatever, but 32 warrants, that means you have to have probable cause in that warrant to say that you, or for us to say you did what you did, or we need what we need for these reasons. We have to be able to document why we should be able to get into your phone, why we should be able to get into your house or your car. And that doesn't come from a by gosh and by golly. That's from sitting down and getting that information, hours of interviews, talking to people, liars, lie about everything. Just They just lie, lie, lie. And it, it gets so frustrating. It's like, look stupid. This is your friend that got killed, not mine. I'm here at three o'clock in the morning trying to help you get some resolution so that I got your back, you're my boy, all that. That's bullshit. That is a complete fallacy. It's a lie. You're their boy as long as you can get something for them. The minute you catch one right here and you're down, they're kicking your mama's door in, they're stealing your wallet, they're taking your drug trade. So don't believe in that. I got your back. You're only good when you can get me something. When you're gone, you've already been replaced by another dummy. I know that's not Dr. Phil stuff and, you know, stupid and dumb and all that. It's probably going to hurt somebody's feelings, but if it keeps somebody alive, I don't care. So go ahead. So through the information, uh, we were able to glean um, people of interest. Uh, of course, Joshua Sage, he was uh, hit multiple times in the garage, um, exchanging gunfire with uh, Damon Bethel. Um, Josh, uh, he wasn't able to speak right offhand. We had to make a couple trips to the hospital, uh, but once he understood the seriousness of the case and what he was looking at, um, he decided to give us a more accurate uh, recollection of what happened. Uh, Ronald Snyder, uh, he was a big party. We later learned that this was a, uh, a drug deal and it was for a pound and a half of crystal meth. Um, JG, Jermon Gavin reached out to uh, Ronald Snyder to uh, broker a deal for this, uh, the crystal meth. When uh, Ronald Snyder said he didn't have it on hand or that wasn't something that he had, he reached out to somebody else that he knew, which was Joshua Sage and Josh's brother, Robert Brady. So uh, when they finally work out the uh, details of where and when and they, when they obtain the product, they meet at uh, 2122 Fredrickson and uh, uh, Joshua brings his brother Robert for a little extra um, strength and uh, a show of force. Um, they're both armed. Uh, Ronald Snyder also had a, uh, had a pistol and Jermon uh, uh, Gavin, once they get there, he, they pull up in, the, uh, in a car out front uh, and it was uh, fit, supposed to be $15,000 for a pound and a half of crystal meth. So prior to the uh, robbers getting there, they dropped Damon Bethel off down the street. And uh, it's unknown what the uh, signal was for Damon to run into the, uh, to the garage, but none of them ever had any intentions on paying for the crystal meth. None of them ever admitted to having any money 
to be able to pay for the crystal meth. So after dropping Demond Bethel down the street and uh, circling around, parking in front of the uh, garage, they all go inside and uh, Jesse Pedraza is checking out the product. Uh, Benito Pedraza is still sitting in the front seat of the uh, vehicle that they arrived in, uh, soon to be the getaway vehicle. And as they're inside checking out the product, they're trying to weigh it up, make sure that it's good, uh, what they're expecting to get. And Jesse said that he'll, he'll be right back, leaving Jermon Gavin in the garage. And uh, keep in mind, Benito Pedraza is still outside in the uh, driver's seat of the car. Jesse goes out to the car, uh, climbs in the front passenger seat next to his brother. And a uh, short time thereafter, Damon Bethel comes running in from the side. And you can all see this off of the uh, video camera, uh, which I'd like to thank Ronald Snyder for providing. Uh, Damon Bethel comes running in off the side, skirts down between a van that's parked inside the garage and the, the house, and uh, announces that he wanted the drugs or give me the drugs in some way, shape, or form. Immediately, Joshua Sage and Damon Bethel begin to exchange gunfire, and apparently Joshua Sage got the better of Damon Bethel, but it wasn't without Josh getting shot, I think, three, three to four times in the chest. Um, he was able to pull through. Demond was not. More gunfire exchanged. Jermon Gavin retreated out of the garage, firing into the garage uh, while he and Robert Brady exchanged fire. Now, just prior to um, Demond Bethel running in, a vehicle had pulled up, and that was Anton James. Anton was there to pick up a, uh, a girl um, and drop off a little, little sack of weed. So they were getting ready to circle around the block when the gunfire erupted. Benito Pedraza gets out of the car, turns and fires into um, Anton James's vehicle. Anton James was not a threat at any point in time during any of this. And uh, as... Uh, the uh, rounds Benito starts shooting at Anton James. Anton speeds off. Unfortunately for him, he ended up getting shot and uh, probably was deceased before his car even hit at the uh, end of the block, uh, three three blocks down on Johnson Street. The, uh, the girl that was in there jumped out of the vehicle because she saw what was coming and uh, she sustained multiple injuries. For quite some time, uh, they had thought that maybe she was shot due to the nature of her injuries, but she never was shot. Uh, she just sustained uh, some serious injuries because of the speed of the car uh, prior to striking the uh, vehicle. So while taking you back to the garage, while Jermon Gavin and Robert <coughs> Brady are uh, in a uh, firefight as well, um, Joshua Sage is down, Damon Bethel is down. Benito Pedraza turns and trains his fire back into the garage to cover Jermon Gavin's retreat. Jermon Gavin gets back to the car and they're wondering where Demond's at. And they even say in the interviews that they're asking where Demond's at. And uh, he wasn't coming. So the car kind of sat out there for just a little bit while uh, Robert Brady was trying to um, shoot at them. But And the car takes off. So we're left... Uh, at that point in time, after the uh, 
uh, cameras are done, we see people start to um, try to get out of the house and cover up any uh, any remnants of any drug deals. So they're taking the crystal meth, they're taking it out back and throwing it uh, in some weeds and some in the grass, hiding guns, hiding personal use drugs, all kinds of stuff. And a lot of that is captured on the uh, the camera as well. So at that point in time, we had no idea who the people in the uh, robber vehicle were. Um, so we had to had a lot more work uh, to be able to do while they were processing the scene and trying to figure out how many guns there were, how many shots were fired, where the shots were coming from. Um, how many guns were there? Okay. Six guns, well, actually seven guns were firing at the same time uh, because there's two separate gun battles. Actually, two separate gun battles along with Benito firing into Anton James's vehicle. And how many rounds? The amount of shell casings that we found were 53 that we collected, that we located and collected. The vast majority of them were down the driveway, several in the street, but inside the garage itself, there were bullets, bullet fragments, spent shell casings. Uh, Dead body. De the deceased, Anton, or um, Damon Bethel. Uh, we had to systematically take out there was another vehicle inside that garage also it was a blue Dodge caravan that was struck it was struck 12 times the Cadillac in the driveway out front was struck nine times all total we had 53 shots fired and we found an extra shell casing that was in the basement that had been fired a week before that was not related uh, all total, the first day we collected 105 pieces of evidence before we finally stopped. And that was a large, there was 50-ish, uh, total of 53 shell casings, spent casings, that went to both the robbers and the gun battle between Damon Bethel and Joshua Sage inside the garage. Um, well, you always have to bring a gun to a drug deal, right? You always have to. That's just what happens, you know. I don't think I've ever been to a drug raid where there wasn't at least a gun in a house. It's just, that's the way it is. Um, now, when you guys finally left, it's all 10, 12, 15 hours later, right? Correct. We still have to post up South Bend police officers, so we're taking people off the street or they have to call in manpower to lock the street down so you don't have somebody walking their dog and, you know, the dog's crapping on our crime scene or tramping through and kicking casings if, you know, we happen to not see one in the middle of the night. That all has to be locked down. These guys are now trying to get a little bit of rest to be able to come back, you know, feed and water themselves, get a little bit of rest, come back, and start that process. That process went on at that home in that location for, it was about three weeks, wasn't it? Correct. So... Three weeks doing the, the same basic job over and over and over. 
because you have to go through everything systematically. This room is done. It's been photographed, videos, evidence has been gathered, done. Next, next. But what happens if you have a bullet that went from this room through this room through the now you have to document all that. There is so much, there is so much work that has to be done. So uh, it is really, it really is an honor to watch guys work that hard and, and women. But you know, my unit was all guys, so that's who I'm gonna talk about. But you know, the police officers that sacrificed uh, a lot standing out there and helping out, it makes a tremendous difference. If we can't explain that that was locked down, first thing a defense attorney, how do you know somebody else didn't add a bullet case in there? How do you know this? How do you know that? It's never what they can prove, but it's what they say. And sometimes you get juries that just go, oh, yeah, it makes sense. I could see where a lightsaber would be used. I, you know, because you saw it in NCIS or whatever that stupid show is, uh, it, it's it's fake. And when I hear when I hear that you know cops don't put in the time and effort, we didn't know any of these people. We had whites, blacks, and Hispanics, suspects, victims, all that. None of these guys went out there and go, "Yeah, I'm I'm not doing this." This looks like the Rainbow Bush Coalition. I only do white homicides. That when I hear systemic racism, it makes me want to puke because it's the people that are the systemic racists themselves that are throwing the rhetoric out. And it's your stupid politicians that are throwing it out. These guys don't do that. The cops that are out there don't do that. They get handed, they get handed a shit sandwich and turn it into a novel. They do it. So when you hear that stuff, have the courage to stand up and say, you know what, you're an idiot. Show me, show me. Don't just tell me, show me. So now, go ahead. And what else, uh, as Tim says, there's just so much that goes in to these uh, investigations. We had five vehicles uh, alone at that scene. Bullets were going through the garage and lodging in a mobile home trailer that was parked behind the garage, behind 2122. Uh, we also had to get a warrant for that vehicle. And then there was a possibility that there was an active methamphetamine lab inside that trailer. So we had to systematically call the hazmat team out uh, to examine, to see if there was in fact an active lab because those uh, types of laboratories are so toxic, uh, it could injure somebody an officer if they if you don't know what you're doing so you have to get the all clear make sure it's safe to go in each one of these bullet holes in houses and cars we had to do what's called shooting reconstructions on each of those vehicles where we and it's very tedious very time consuming uh, to see where these rounds were coming from and trying to make sense out of the direction who or what is shooting at who and why uh, that was extremely time consuming we had to do each vehicle separately mark that vehicle and then we had to take and tow those vehicles away uh, we had to take them down to Southern police department to the actual tech bay and go through them we did one vehicle there at the scene but the rest of them we had to take um, away and like I said the Cadillac was hit nine times the Dodge Caravan was hit 12 times 
and we have to find the trajectory as to who was shooting what. Uh, all this evidence, once it was documented and collected, we turned it over to the firearms examiner, which would be uh, Ray Wolfenbarger, who is an amazing individual. Um, he said, yes, you have these guns working all in close proximity to one another. And without him, we couldn't really put the pieces together. The video surveillance footage was paramount. We had it, uh, but we needed to put, okay, what bullet came from what gun, who had what, and that's a storyline. The investigators get that storyline for us, then we can put the players, uh, as we do, we take a piece of brown butcher paper and color code who's where, uh, the guns, different colors, what direction they're going in. And so it, it, we can see it on something that's, we created and it, it makes a lot of sense. We dry erase boards were paramount in our office. Um, once these uh, vehicles were completed and we had a you know, handle on the story as to who did what and the investigators, they're, they're unbelievable when it comes to talking to people, to people, and they get the storyline. And then us on the physical aspect side of it, we can uh, basically assemble the case. Uh, that first day we had to identify, we didn't know who Demond Bethel was, there was just an unknown male black with his hoodie pulled up so there was a porthole and the bill of the baseball hat uh, was all you could see out and see that the person was male black. He had no identification on him. So we had to get authorization to be able to touch the body first and foremost, which I fingerprinted and ran a set of fingerprints through you down to uh, fingerprint examiner at Southland Police Department. And because the victim, call him the victim, uh, Demond Bethel had no identification on him. So trying to process a scene, you've got bodies, you've got the parameters of the law, what you can and can't do. Uh, and my report is 54 pages long. That was a record breaker. It's not war and peace, I use big uh, font so I can see when I'm up there on the witness stand to have to testify to this and to make sense out of it. Well, how long did it take before from when this happened on August 3rd, 2017 till the last person was slapped and locked up? You know about how long that was? Oh man, uh, it was probably three years, roughly. Two to three years, easy. We were still collecting DNA from people January 3rd, 2018, when him and I went to go get a buckle swab from uh, Robert Brady, actually. Mm -hmm. And of course, with a buckle swab, they either have to volunteer or we have to get a search warrant, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Again, that's where, that's the behind the scenes stuff. You know, a lot of these shows, you know, they last an hour and everything goes real good. They get the DNA and they run into the lab, they give it to this dude and 
you know, throw it into a machine, you know, a half a day later, they go, yep, that's, doesn't happen like that. There were times that we had to literally wait for DNA for six months to a year because you'd throw in your stuff and your report would go on the bottom of the pile. They'd take this one off, do that DNA, and finally your report came to the top of the pile and uh, it just took that long, which is a shame. Uh, if you ever want to be a billionaire, open up your own lab and have people that are ready to go because you will be very, very rich. Cops will be coming to you with stuff like that, especially if you can turn it over quick. So there's a little hint if you got some money. Um, now all these all these people, they're you know they're either in prison or out. Have uh, have you guys heard anything more about any of these any of these guys? Any more issues? Not uh, haven't heard any more issues. Um, the ones that are that are out, uh, there there may be some. Um, we don't have to say names, but there may be some pending uh, um, cases on uh, some people that are currently out right now that looking into. Of course, they're innocent until proven guilty on those uh, allegations. Don't you think if you got a break on a double homicide robbery, okay, corral shootout, you go. You know what? I'm not doing anything ever again. But I guess your felony's stupid, and that's what you get. So that'd be my epiphany. Well, I, uh, I don't know. I go, I go right back to we don't pick our victims, we don't pick our suspects. We get the cars we're dealt, and we deal with it. Uh, somebody else can make up the excuses and hug them. I'm not going to. Uh, our jobs are protected, and that's what we're going to do. So, anything else you want to add? Uh, we're going to be wrapping up. Uh, I, um, I know uh, Kenny kind of touched on it with uh, uh, Ray Wolfenbarger being the uh, awesome guy, but uh, with that, uh, with the evidence, ballistic evidence that we had from Ray uh, and the video, Ray was able to tell us what gun shot what casing that was collected. And if we were able to recover the gun, what projectile was shot out of that gun. And with that, kind of knowing uh, as things transpired and as we learned more and more through interviews and evidence and communicating with the techs and um, all the information that we're able to put together, learning who shot what gun where based off of the video and uh, from Ray. So. Ray did an awesome job. The, the ladies in the lab um, did an awesome job, uh, as they always do. Uh, Tim Wiley, uh, my partner, who's hopefully getting burnt down in uh, in Florida, um, unbearably burnt. Does he really wear a thong? Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> I, I, I had chicken wings in there about right here, right now. Yeah, it's, Makes me that's, some, that's something I'd like to picture. With. Uh, but... You couldn't ask for a better guy to be a partner um, with his help. And uh, Assistant Commander Alex Arndt, he was another one that uh, uh, guided us through uh, this process as well. Um, so it's it's a team effort all the way around. It's not me, it's not Kenny, it's not Tim. Uh, and it's not just us in the Metro Homicide Unit because we wouldn't be able to do what we do without the guys or gals on the street Without the prosecutor's office, Chris Front was absolutely instrumental and a huge uh, part of this operation. He's the one 
that takes us to court and puts all of our evidence and all of our findings and interviews and all that stuff down and able to um, convey that through the court proceeding uh, in a uh, manner that's legal versus us going up there and saying, yeah, he did it because the evidence says so. Kenny? Uh, again, teamwork, the, the amount of support for our team, we had extra people coming in because this, the magnitude of this scene was huge. You got two dead, you've got an entire neighborhood, uh, cars, houses, garages, uh, neighboring homes, all shot up, but I'd just like to touch on the teamwork aspect of we could not do this. Uh, there's no I in team. We we had a really, really great team and we worked well together. And I can't say enough about the professionalism, of just being able to work with these guys was amazing. And we all bring a little something to the table. Um, we all do it and it, and it comes full circle and you can see your efforts from once we put suspects in the defendant's chairs all the way to when they read the verdict. Um, and our leadership, I can't say enough, the 14 and a half years I worked for you, Tim, in the unit, um, the leadership was amazing. You knew what was expected out of you and you just go and did, you know, you did your job. Um, and on a closing note, I recall actually going to this address before on another homicide that happened at the, at the very same house in 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we were both there. Yeah, I, I was working the street when, uh, when that happened and uh, it was uh, an evidence tech on uh, midnights. Yep, you placed out the boxes and the buckets to cover up the blood. Yeah, that place, just, uh, that place probably needs one of those uh, groups that goes in and does hauntings and all that. Cause that's, yeah, that's there's got to be some stuff floating around there. Mm -hmm. We've had a couple of those. 1101 North College was another one as well. Yeah. Well, this is going to wrap up what we're, what we're doing tonight. Uh, again, like I say all the time, um, 45 years of being a police officer is an honor and a privilege. I enjoyed it. Uh, I appreciate the comments about leadership, but quite honestly, um, you could have put a mannequin in my chair and these guys would have done what they needed to do. They didn't, they didn't need me, but I think leadership is overrated. It's pretty easy. You let good people do great things. See out of the way, give them what they need, help out when you need to. Know, know how to do things. Know how to talk to people, know how to tell them what to do if necessary, which very, very rare. Make suggestions and help out with that. Don't just stand back and have the coolest suit and the biggest badge and all that kind of stuff in the title because anybody can do that. Um, I wanna address another thing. There's a guy by the name of Clifton French that does a uh, articles, not a articles, for his business called Real News Michiana, Real News Michiana. And what he does, he puts the truth out. He doesn't try and make the news, he doesn't try to add to the news. He puts the truth out. What a concept. And he is burning it down around here. There have been so many stories told that aren't even accurate. Um, 
and Clifton is clearing them up. So go to Real News Michiana, uh, get on his website, you're going to be impressed with his writing. As a matter of fact, uh, he tied a uh, little situation together today with the Secretary of Transportation, and, uh, and I guess uh, very big in the Latin Kings. So read that and make your own interpretation of it. But one thing when he writes, it's the truth, and he backs it up with facts, not innuendo. So thank you for listening to us. Again, thanks to all the vets, present and past and future. Uh, made my life better. I appreciate it. First responders, thank you also. Have a good night.